Hello and welcome to a very sad occasion for this show. Um, it is Tammy's final episode as the regular co-host. And um, today we're going to do something. It seems like we've been doing a lot of retrospectives on the show, which, you know, it's not something that was planned. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we have a we're going to answer your questions uh, and then we're going to say Tammy is going to say her goodbye, and then at the end, uh, May Shots, our esteemed producer, esteemed producer, where is that phrase from? Ah, <laughs> yeah, from Car Talk, I think they are. Oh, yeah. producer, Doug Subway Bongo Boy Berman. Oh, my God, who also, remember by the, the names. Way, I can't remember the names. He, he also produced Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and so um, that guy... I've always been so confu- I've always been so fascinated by him because I loved Car Talk. I think it was my I really liked radio Car show. Talk too. Yeah, and he that was out produced- of Boston, right? Right, right. They're both yeah. out of Boston. Yeah, yeah. He somehow produced no, actually, or no, um, wait, wait, it's Chicago. Wait, wait, it's Chicago. Yeah, yeah, but-, but Car Talk was the WBUR show, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. He somehow produced a show you love and a show you hate. Yeah, like somehow <laughs> he's like the best talk radio show. <laughs> In history and the worst <laughs> I thought of you this morning because Wait Wait is coming to New York for two nights and doing oh like live shows. God, and I was yeah. like, I should have gotten Jay a ticket as like a prank. Or something. Yeah, I don't think they were. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> they wouldn't let you in the door. Well, it's unclear. I don't think that first. I don't think that they have any awareness of no, my I mean. years of trolling. But I know that <laughs> all I know is that Peter Sagel blocked me on Twitter many years ago. That's right. Um. But outside of that, I'm sure he hasn't thought what had taken one more second to watch. <laughs> who is on? Who's on the? Uh, who's on the panel? Because I the thing about that show is yeah, that there's some people I true. like who do the show. Yeah, and I don't begrudge them from doing the show because uh, I think it's a huge. Like, I mean, it's a huge show, and um, yeah, like you know, my friend Hari Kondabolu is a pretty regular oh, guest. Yeah. I've known. Him oh, since, really? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I've known him since we were. He was a freshman. I don't think I've ever heard him on that. I mean, I don't listen to it regularly, but when it's on the radio and I'm cooking or something, I'll just leave it on. But I don't think Josh Gondelman is on the show. That's somebody else who, you know, I think is pretty like I I like Josh Gondelman. And so it's not that there are people who that everyone who goes on the show is bad. It's just I hate that show so much. <laughs> I don't think I ever understood the intensity of your hatred for that show. It oh, seems like a totally a middling, like a political news show. But <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I was in college, and the show had just started. Right, it wasn't really that old. I think it had been mm-hmm. on for five or six years, and not that long nationally. Okay, and all I remember is that I was maybe it was right after college, but you know, I went to school in Maine. And a lot of my friends grew up in Boston. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point, we were driving to my friend's parents' house. I have no idea why. And we were stopped outside of like a CVS in Concord, Massachusetts, which is a quite tony yeah. historical suburb of Boston. And <laughs> the show was on. I was extremely hungover. And like they're just doing their like sort of rapport, you know, of like kind of like sneering at people and um and the audience laughs and everything like that and Uh i just like i had this full body (laughs) revulsion (laughs) like a full body sensory thing where i was just like i fucking hate (laughs) (laughs) 
And since then, I've just Wait, associated- so did you like throw up? Like, is there a bodily connection to your hatred of the show no, that you but now it felt like can't a full, get out of you? It felt like a full flush. That's you hysterical. Know, I was just like, oh my God. And then in my head, I was like, you know, I had spent my entire life, not my entire life, but I had spent much of my life in college towns around the exact type of yeah liberal who loves wait wait don't tell me yeah yeah what that what all those years of experience have engendered in me <laughs> is a deep deep dislike for that exact type of person you know and so and sort of specifically the contradictions in their what they say and what they do right yeah, like, yeah. the whole type of um, I'm going to segregate my school district, but, you know, I'm going to have a BLM. BLM it's definitely a NIMBY, NIMBY yeah. show. Yeah. yeah. And but I, always- I think it also suffers the thing that I think we've talked about before on the show that we don't like. I think we have a shared dislike for, which is like the podcast naivete. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, tell me. Like, you know, this kind of thing. And um, yeah, it just it lacks some sort of like moral core or something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's literally just rich liberals sneering at everyone, you know, and calling everyone bad people and then telling like <laughs> the worst jokes. And then the for many years the entire panel, right, cuz they had a rotating panel mm-hmm. of people. They're much much better about this now. But it was all just like boomer white white people. Yeah, yeah, it was like uh, you know, Koki Roberts and Tom Bodette, the guy from the Motel 6 commercials. Oh wow! Here comes Mo Rocca, you know, and you're just like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't ask for a single one of these people. They've definitely DEI'd it. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. It's it is as <laughs> the, it is the most diverse <laughs> show. Now. You know, in some ways, oh it makes me God. resent it because I feel so less funny. empowered to like, um, you know, yeah, really go after it. Now, so. Yeah, I know. It's like, man, I knew. Har- I remember when Harry was telling jokes in the. Um, in the pub at Bowdoin in the student union oh my you God. Know, when he was 18 years old. I can't make fun of this guy. I like this guy. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, like I, I can't attack the show he's on that helps provide his livelihood. <laughs> <laughs> what is he up to these days? I, I uh, caught his stand up a couple years ago. I think is the last time I saw him in Brooklyn. Oh really? Did you like the yeah. show? Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's, um, I've listened to, I've, I've seen him a couple times and I think, you know, there's a kind of like immigrant sentimentality. Sometimes it's a little too sweet, I think, for my tastes. But right. he's obviously really bright. Obviously, he has good politics. And, you know, he's a thoughtful guy. And and he also seems like a very decent and kind person, which is very appealing. Um, but yeah, I haven't. I feel like I haven't heard from him in a while. I think he's working on TV projects and stuff. That makes um, sense. And he does a lot of tours. Uh, the comedian's life seems to be completely... Uh, rootless and difficult but he has a yeah i think he has yeah. a, he has he might have two kids now one kid okay. and um so i think he might be he's sta- he seems to be staying slowing at home down a, a little bit yeah but Thanks. he uh <clears throat> yeah that that part's very interesting i remember he's i for a while i wanted to write a feature about him with the context being that we were friends in college and that we mm-hmm. stayed in touch for many years afterwards when we both lived in new york but um when he was in college, when he was 18 or 19 years old, he would do this whole routine. And it was very much like, oh, you know, uh, I'm going to tell jokes about being Indian mm-hmm. and I'm going to do accents and stuff like that. Very sort yeah. of standard type college of thing. Fair. 
And I thought it was funny, you know, I thought his jokes were funny, but I, Mm -hmm. you know, I would understand why you had to remind, you had to, you had to remember that like, I was like 20 and he was 18 at this time. We're very young. And this was before we learned a lot of things about the world. And also before, like, it became much more standard for people like that to have, you know, thoughts about things like cultural appropriation and stuff like that. I mean, Harry and I are old. And before that was right before 9-11 too. Yeah, yeah. Which fundamentally changed the nature of that, right, of his right. r- routine. And yeah, 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 you're routines, right, yeah. yeah. Um, but then he, uh, so he was telling those jokes. I thought he was pretty funny. We became friends. And then mm-hmm. I didn't hear from him for a while. He, like, left and went to Wesleyan for, he, like, transferred to Wesleyan because his brother, oh, okay. brother's in the rap group Das, das Racist, racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, went there and so he went down there and I think you know Maine is a very alienating place and so he goes down there mm-hmm. and then I don't hear from him for a while and then he moves to Seattle and becomes like yeah. an organizer and stuff and then he puts out this movie it's short movie it's like eight minutes long and it's about a comedian named Manoj and Manoj is like the hackiest Indian comedian oh of I all haven't time. seen that That's yeah funny. yeah okay and The most interesting part about that whole thing to me, and this is why I thought it'd be interesting to write about, was that, you know, Manoj is on stage doing these like accents and um, he has an accent. He's like from India, but he's telling all these kind of like internally racist jokes. And uh, the jokes that Manoj is telling, you know, as this is Hari's send up of like a very self-hating internally racist person are actually the jokes that Hari joke. told when he was <laughs> yeah. 18, 19 years old. That's amazing. And I was like, I was like, this is so interesting. He's like killing his former self. That's you know? a good and setup. Then yeah. For a while he did all, I mean, no, I don't think he didn't explain that in the piece. Sure. I just knew it because I had heard right, those right. jokes before. Um, and uh, it's like a lot of jokes about like beef and stuff like that. And so um, I found that to be so interesting. And then for a while he was very political, right? To the point where, like, I was like, wow, like, I don't really even understand these politics, right? I, it's not that I didn't understand the politics that he was saying. I just, like, I was interested that, um, like, how political he got. And, and like, as comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether yeah. that and works. And, yeah. Exactly. Obviously a long history of that. And, um, but I don't know. It's been really cool to watch his career as somebody who saw him from... Yeah, time ago. he I made the Apu documentary him. too, right? Right, right, yeah. right. I just feel like you get to see somebody yeah. go through a political process over the course of now 20 years almost, more than 20 years um, for both of us in that um, it ends up, you know, it's just, it's just interesting to watch because he has to do it all in public. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do too, right? But... Um, but that's so much more yeah. naked that oh yeah that, it's not right that encounter close. it's so yeah. I was um yeah, I, I was don't have to make people laugh <laughs> yeah well while you do but not there. yeah while standing there without a notepad or whatever <laughs> like um I was listening to Mark Marin interview Doug Stanhope uh-huh. who's a comic I really admire yeah, yeah, yeah. and I um and you just got back from Vegas so you were just in the middle of their territory but I feel like Stanhope is talking about how he used to be kind of this like gotcha libertarian, like, you know, con- sort right. of like lib- libertarian conservative guy and kind of trying to mature out of that and his trajectory and how that's played out in his work. And it's like you watch his stand up from like 20 years ago and it is so insane. You I, know? 
I, I and, and that's a record. <laughs> it's like you that everyone can still see that, you know, like everyone can read your shitty prose, Jay, from 20 years ago. But it's not like you're standing there, your whole body. I know. Is like, <laughs> I, know. I, I, I read stuff. From, I mean, do you I read stuff from when I was like some of the stuff I still have from when I was very young. And um, some of it is just terrible. <laughs> But no I'm one sure will ever... it's not as bad as it like to us, but to you, it's probably. Oh yeah, but I so. can't imagine how much worse that experience is when oh you're watching God. a video of yourself bombing. Unbelievable! Like, doing weird heck. Insane. <laughs> I mean, I there. Yeah, over the years, different friends have taken stand up classes, attempted different, and I'm just like, that to me is like the most insane thing to ever try. I cannot. Yeah. There's nothing anyone could ever do to make me do that. I think it's uh, if I think it's a, you know, it's a kind of adrenaline rush seeking type of stuff. I I talked yeah, to Harry about it a lot so. actually because I I had the same question because I was like, well, I'm somewhat public figure, and I don't like doing things where I'm in actually in public. You know, like I don't like mm. doing. I just don't like standing in front like of panels people. and talks and stuff like that. Yeah, I really don't like it. And it's, uh, <laughs> I wish it was some, I, and I don't actually don't, it's not a question of like me being a humble person or anything like that, right? Like it's fine. Like I obviously think it's important to have some sort of public presence, but I don't like the experience of it because I just like, and I just feel out of sorts while doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like uncomfortable. What, but it's not stage fright. No, it's not stage fright. So how would you describe it? I don't know. I just like kind of like, I'm always just waiting for it to be over. You know, like I don't enjoy it. Like, well, yeah. I, I mean, I was on a TV show, you know, and it was, I was so uncomfortable yeah, being in front of the camera for two years. <laughs> and I just kept doing it because I was making more money than I would as a print journalist, mm-hmm. freelance print journalist, which was zero dollars. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and I felt like... <laughs> because I had like a wife and wanted to have a family that I need to save some money. So I just kept doing it. Mm-hmm. But I was also very interested in every other part of the process, except for standing in front of the camera. There must be this hilarious, reel. Oh, there I must see. be hilarious reels of me somewhere in that company of just like me fucking up, you know? Did they ever train you? Yeah, they did. The, per- okay. the people who trained, like, I, I have nothing Because it bad is such to- a skill to Oh, yeah, for sure. Cool, and right? the people who are good at it, I it's like imagine. a- yeah. It's like a talent because I, I used to not really understand this. Uh, you know, as print journalists, we sometimes have like an unfair and snotty Definitely. response to TV like, journalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all the people who feel that way should go and try and read off a teleprompter while staring into a camera. It is so hard. Oh my gosh. And it's so humiliating <laughs> and embarrassing when you're bad. <laughs> And you have like three producers standing oh there, God. kind of like patiently Just staring at you, you like <laughs> trying to be trying to be like supportive because it's their job to be supportive. And also as like the talent in huge air courts, you are the boss, right? They have to be, they've been trained their entire careers that they have to like kind of be nice to you. Mm-hmm. And you know what's going on in their head, which is like, why is this fucking guy on You're TV? Like this idiot again. <laughs> yeah. And the other <laughs> half of them who want to be on TV are just like, I would do this so much better. And I, <laughs> I always want to say, like, yes, you would. You know, go tell the boss that you wanted that we should switch jobs and I'll go stand by the camera and judge you. <laughs> um, 
but it yeah, it was awful. I, I was just so don't like bad at people it. looking at me and like I would worry about my face. You know what I mean? Just yeah. the self-consciousness. I don't well, women that. have it much harder. I yeah, think, that, yeah, that's definitely a piece of it. I just like, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't <laughs> it ever. seems awful. I mean, I obviously thought about this, but it was never like a, it would never really front and center of my mind if I was like attractive on camera. Mm-hmm. I think part of it was just because all the other people on the show were like extremely attractive people, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was just, I think I realized at some point, oh, it's just weird that I'm here, you know? So I'll just not worry about it. You know, I was like, these are like, <laughs> like the people walking around are just like, oh my God. Were <laughs> you, know, you like, you were the token army? <laughs> I was, I was, I was a token, like they have, they're like, oh, so, you know, these are very young. These are good journalists, right? But they're young. They're very young. Some of them are like 23 years old. Oh my gosh. And so I think. The way it was explained to me was like, oh, they need somebody who's more experienced, you know, to sort of help them. I was like a player coach type of thing. Mm. Of course, I don't do any of that stuff. And so (laughs) I know I'm like, what are you coaching them on? Yeah, I was like, what do I coach you in? I can't get through three. Yeah, I can't get through three lines of a teleprompter. Why am I coaching you? You should be coaching me. (laughs) You're great at this. But yeah, the talent part is interesting. Like, you start to understand the talent part of it is actually totally separate from the content part of it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, yeah. right? Just as there's like print journalists where the prose is incredible and in its way is its own performance, that obviously is true in television. So, so like the person who was the best yeah. at it that I ever saw was Keith Olbermann. Like hmm. he's just so good at doing staring at a camera and talking, right? Hmm. Um, I don't even know what Keith Olbermann's politics were. I mean, I'm sure they're just like kind of center left or whatever, right, for all the years that he was on TV. But he was like, you you try and do that type of thing and then you watch someone like Keith Olbermann and you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe this person can do huh. this, right? It's so, there's so much talent there. Interesting, um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. That was a big diversion. Actually, one of our questions <laughs> is about this. So that's a good segue. So what we're going to do is oh, we're yeah. going to do, we're going to answer some of your questions. And then, uh, so our first question is, Eddie Wong is directing a documentary about Vice. If you two were to find yourselves at the helm of a Vice or Vice-like organization from the era of your choice, historical or fictional, what would it look like? <laughs> This is a good I question. Even, I know. Did you see I, Eddie's Instagram post about this, by the way? No. It was pretty funny. So what, what is he doing exactly? He's directing a doc about the rise and fall of Vice. And of okay. course, Eddie had a show on Vice for many years, right? He I, had that's like what a I was Bord, thinking. Bourdain-like yeah. show. But yeah. in his uh, Instagram post, Eddie's very funny. And his uh, Instagram post was, Shane Smith, you should have paid me my residuals from Wong's World. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that guy. I mean, say what you. I, I like Eddie. Obviously, we were we we were friends for a while, and I haven't talked to him in years. But um, there is a level of funny that he can get to that I think is quite rare. You know, it's like, hmm. oh, that's just the perfect post. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like dishy and funny, and actually makes me want to watch his documentary now, right? Because I'm just like, oh, now he's mad at Jane Smith. Okay, I'll watch this. Oh my god. Um, uh, all right, go ahead. 
Well, I, I guess for me, I think one of the things that I think about with Vice and like that era of production is like, I kind of group like Vice and Gawker kind of together. And um, I think we've lost a lot of that as all of the the sort of like early bloggy stuff has shut down now. So I do think there's something to recuperate from that. Like I was thinking about um, recently Jezebel shut down. Right. And there's this whole sort of reevaluation of like feminist blog culture and like what it means to produce like a feminist text right now. And, you know, obviously we've had um, people from Lux on the show and like we're trying to kind of figure out what that means. And so I think like if I had a thing I could create, it would sort of combine it would be vicey but like feminist <laughs> and it would try to figure out what what we are missing from not having that piece of the culture anymore if that makes sense right, so i feel like right. it's like the kind of celebrity stocky you know gossipy stuff but also like deep dives into people who are significant but shouldn't be <laughs> so like right. a little bit of like observer culture and gawker culture and vice culture mixed up but like with like a feminist twist I like Leela's arc of, of the misshapes, for example, was like a big time vice gawker type New York City mm. celebrity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or like this, like the Scalawag stuff, like investigating right. Silicon Valley. Like we're missing some of that right now, you know? And so I do think there are like, if Gawker had been super, super active during the Trump era, if Vice had been like, you know, fully itself during that era, like what pieces would we have had additional like in our arsenal? So I don't know. That's not, that's an incomplete answer, but that's kind of where I was headed. What about you? I mean, you actually were at Vice. So yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Vice was an interest. I think it was much more interesting as a magazine, like an irreverent magazine way back in the late nineties, early mm -hmm. aughts. Right. Yeah. Um, and obviously look now the guy who made all those jokes and wrote most of the funniest stuff is now apparently a Nazi and we can yeah, do that big flashing caveat. Right, um, right. But you know, that, that there was a reverence there that was cool. Yeah. And it, I mean, I certainly liked the early vice years and I thought I, we would get my friend Eric would go down to New York cause he's from New York. He would bring the issues back to, I mean, this feels so antiquated. During but college. Really did happen. Yeah, in college. Yeah, he yeah. would bring them back yeah. to Maine and we'd read them and do's Aww. and don'ts were always very funny and whatever. Wow. Wow. Yeah, like we couldn't find them on the internet. The inter oh, my God. <laughs> um, but I think that, I don't know. I mean, it's just like the story of Vice is just so much, you know, how do you, how, these guys are desperately trying to blow this company up to a period where they could sell it and all be rich right that was sort of what they wanted for yeah. years and years and yeah. years so it's just expansion 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 taking on more and more debt you know and having this kind of uh veneer and the real business is okay we understand millennials better than anyone mm -hmm. and uh yeah. we're cool so just give us your advertising dollars and give us ideas and we'll turn them into cool you know uh sponsored content type of stuff right mm -hmm. that was the sort of business behind the business um and i think that's probably still the only way that a publication was ever going to make money in the internet age and so i think that yeah. in some ways they're ahead on that i'm just speaking from a business standpoint now from a content standpoint i totally agree with you tammy i think that there's a real lack of irreverence in the media right now people are so serious. And I think that part, there's two reasons why that happened. The first is that I think that Trump made it almost impossible to be irreverent in that type of way. Yeah. Because everything 
started to feel extremely serious, right? And yeah. um, a sort of fun downtowny thing like Gawker was in the early days or Jezebel where, you know, there's a lot of joy in pop culture and mm-hmm. there's kind of a nastiness to it that is quite pleasing. It's just hard when Trump is the only thing that you can talk about, right? It's the only right. news story that anyone wants to read about. Um, and didn't you, it was also this feeling that like the irreverence caused him to exist. You know what I mean? Like, I think right. we all felt guilty too. Like, oh, we sh- actually should have taken him seriously before instead of making him like a Gawker article. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh shit, yeah. then he became president. Yeah, like I remember when, um, you know, our friend and podcast guest Tommy Craggs was at Deadspin and Donald Trump like tweeted something about a story they had done. This was well before Donald Trump was ever running for president but he was tweeting uh-huh. like kind of approvingly of it and they tweeted mm. back go fuck yourself <laughs> you know? and oh wow like, <laughs> um and that was <laughs> you know but yeah, yeah. I, I i don't i think that there is like the sort of being nasty for the sake of being nasty so that you feel like you're inside of a club of people mm-hmm. who are like sort of right down on the you know one step down uh from the actual people in power right and for that specifically was all the gawker writers feeling like oh here i'm gonna bash like every new yorker writer i'm gonna bash every single new york times columnist and we're gonna treat them like they're these huge celebrities even though they're not household names and even for young people who are like in college in ohio or oregon or wherever who are interested in these types of worlds they can still feel part of the club Mm, because even if they don't really care who David Brooks is or whoever, (laughs) right? Like um, that they feel like they're entering like this cool New York scene where they're part of like the outsiders bashing. These are not novel theories about Gawker, right? Like these are things that have been written about, but um, that just like, yeah, it just kind of like, I wish that there was something like that now, but now what we have is like, we have, Amongst the young people, at least what I've said, I don't mean to insult anyone here or call out anyone specifically, but it does seem to me that the young people who are in media now are much more openly ambitious than they were before, right? They don't hide their ambition through a veneer of irony and snark, right, and, <laughs> and nastiness when really they're just like, God, I really hope I can get a job at some point at one of these places. <laughs> Right. They're not making fun of the New York Times. They want to be at the New York Times. So Yeah, but the thing is, the people at Gawker, early Gawker, also wanted to be at the New York Times. They're just like, <laughs> they're just going through like this psychodrama about it in public that was very alluring, you know? Uh, it was very funny and it felt kind of dangerous and new. Yeah. And now it's just kind of like people playing nice and hoping that they can get, uh, get to that point may puts in the chat i think there's still some of that at hellgate right now i agree i was just gonna say hellgate yeah yeah i think that's probably the closest which is interesting because hellgate is not the youngs hellgate is people our age yeah yeah so i feel like hellgate is doing exactly this kind of thing where they want to recuperate that moment okay may says some youngs are involved all right fine but (laughs) definitely people our age are also there and i you know i think they kind of have that that memory and want to do something really fun so um we yeah. have not answered this question, though, and I think that uh, I think that what I would do is I would just I don't know. We kind of answered it. <laughs> yeah, I do think having something that is punching up at all times is good, but I do think you have to refresh the roster all the time. That's the thing that you have to do, um, and uh, you have to like invest in people who are interesting voices. Like I, 
when I was younger and I read Richard Lawson's American Idol, um, I think I've mentioned this before. I read Richard Lawson's American Idol recaps on Gawker. Hmm. And it was like, I just thought, I was like, oh my God, you know, like, what is this? Like, this is the funniest thing I've ever read. And, uh, and it's like written in this like sort of amazingly beautiful way, right? Like where I, like I was, it was, I don't know. Cause I was, you know, cool. I was an MFA student at the time. And yeah. so obviously I, all I thought about, well, no, that's not true, but I was supposed to be thinking all the time about, you know, interesting ways of doing prose. And there are all these people at our school because Columbia at the time was very experimental and it was led by Ben Marcus. Right. And so it was a lot of like sort of experimental fiction. And I was frankly quite bored with all of that stuff because I was just like, I don't, I don't get it. You know, <laughs> I was too young to understand it. And also I was very, like, I wasn't very well read. And um, as people know, I'm a bit of a hard headed, I can be a bit of a hard headed chauvinist about a lot of things. And so I was just like, fuck this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys, were you guys, when you say experimental, were you guys also talking a lot about like emerging sort of like internet fiction and? No, like, not really. It was like, it's like you know, modernist, like formalist. Yeah, like Donald Bartleby yeah. yeah, type yeah, yeah, of yeah. stuff, right? I mean, um, <clears throat> but then it was exciting to me to read this thing that felt totally new online yeah. that was actually popular and it sort of sparked the parts of me that are, you know, populist by nature which is just like oh if young people on the internet are liking this like you know this is more interesting to me than reading donald bartleby i like donald bartleby but you know <laughs> hey, it, man, random. i, I, I was... feel like that moment too with vice is like i mean not vice but i think now we're just talking more about like the gawker kind of like that sort of bloggy ecosystem but it it was also nodding to like the voice Village Voice at its right, heyday right, and, right. and those sorts. So there were definitely, there have been these different interventions, but now it feels like it's been a minute since we've had that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, you're right. Like, uh, Alt Weeklies is what it all comes out yes. of. Yes. Yeah. And the sort of giant voice, the giant snarky, huge voice that punches up all the time mm -hmm. is like, I mean, you know this, uh, the best example of that is like uh, the guy at the stranger. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dan Savage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's so much of this is about the media ecosystem because you can have, you can only have the stranger if you have like a really robust Seattle times, right? You can only yeah. have the village voice when all of the New York papers are thriving and stuff. So, right. And now we don't have any of that. So so that's, I think, part of this thing about, like, why the Jezebels are going under. Because we're having layoffs in all of the sort of establishment organizations. Yeah. yeah. It's anyway, a grim time in media right now. Yeah, it's pretty it's, bad. Uh, it's, it's almost, it's, it's been, in, it's, now we're in, like, year 10 or so of just endless layoffs, you know. And yeah, um, it's just, it doesn't get. It just feels uh we're all on the ship waiting for our turn. <laughs> Last week was very rough. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like every I don't know, it's you see people who you know who do great work, who are yeah. kind and thoughtful and have families and stuff, and you just see them and it's just like it just it just fucking it just sucks. Um, it sucks. Yeah. Uh all right. 
All right. Next okay. question. How do you, this is for you, Tammy. How do you know Jay and Andy? I think we've answered Oh, the podcast. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we could group a few of these together because there were different questions about like, right. how did we all get together? What's our name mean? What was the concept as we went into the show and kind of how has that, how has that evolved? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think at the risk of repeating ourselves, this was Jay's idea. And I think he had, he approached Andy, who he only knew through the internet, <laughs> and me, who he knew through Media World IRL just a little bit um, at the start of the pandemic, obviously. And Jay, you already came into the podcast with this sort of like worm in your brain about time to say goodbye because of the song. Yeah. And, and also, I think we had this double entendre about it because it was the pandemic and we felt like we're all going to die. So time to say goodbye. And then also this kind of karaoke song that is like beloved by like Asians. Um, So I think that was basically the origin. And I, at the con, like at the starting point, we were, we used to describe it as like a podcast about like Asia, Asian America and life during the pandemic. And that was very much kind of where we were headed and we had no idea how long it was going to last or what sort of shape it would take. Yeah, I think that's basically it. It's just been, um, it just lasted longer than, you know, lockdown. So uh, yeah. now it's just an accident. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but started at a time when the future is very uncertain and we definitely didn't have any type of business idea. Totally. I just thought, I was like, well, I have a lot of Twitter followers. Maybe I can get people to listen to this, you know? If, Andy and um, I used to joke that it, this was all like a guerrilla marketing campaign for Jay's book, which is an unaddressed. Oh, really? Theory. <laughs> <laughs> so did it work? No, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh that would have been hilarious. No, I mean, that would have, yeah. That, was some, that would be some that have been planning. a lot of time invested to try and sell, <laughs> to try and sell a book. <laughs> Oh, oh man, I don't know. I don't think I think the book sold okay. I don't. I think it did fine, you know. But it's not. Uh, it certainly was not a runaway bestseller. Uh, <laughs> All right, so Lord. we didn't do our yeah. job, and it wasn't um, worth three years. Of, and if I put in three years of marketing, it it was a huge flop. <laughs> <laughs> the hours to income ratio. Oh yeah, like it was like I'm getting paid like <laughs> fractions of a penny at this point. Um, All right. Next question. Okay, let me pick uh, one. Yes. Um, all right. So let me combine a couple regrets. So this is like a two part thing or an optional thing, which is, um, yeah. Do you have regrets, mistakes for, that you were reflecting on over the last three and a half years and, or are there guests or topics you wanted to do, but never got to? Um, yeah, well, I think, no, I don't, I don't know if I have regrets about it, but I, I think that we didn't handle the, uh, I think that we could have been more intentional about the show and what it was at times, but then it would have also mm. required us to change it in ways that I thought would, I always was very protective of the idea that we should just keep it as conversational as possible, that we shouldn't have structured interviews or segments and stuff like that for a while I thought about it but it, was, it just seemed like it wasn't gonna work I don't like I just 
I just like is podcasts. that is that what you mean? Like when you talk about intention, you just mean like a more well sh- like a shaped show, or what? What exactly are you? Yeah, like you know, if we had been like, okay, these are our next ten guests, and this is our gotcha. Uh, this is yeah. We're gonna ask them this, and we're gonna do a mm-hmm. series on this, and then we're gonna do this. <laughs> a, we're gonna do right. like a sort of collaboration with this group. We did a couple of those, and they were you mm-hmm. know that was mostly because we just liked those podcasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But we didn't really do a lot of that because the show was supposed to just feel like it was um, a group of friends having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why that was the idea was because those are just the podcasts that I like to listen to. Um, I don't really like listening to podcasts where people are trying to tell me, th- <laughs> tell me things or sell me on a story or tell me about this crazy thing that happened. And, you know... Um, well, Duke, also, Montana Jay, we like we all had multiple jobs and stuff, and I feel like to get to that next level, it would have we really would have had to dig in. I think and made yeah, the podcast like hard. kind of our main things. I will say that just to give a little more of less of a wishy washy answer, you know, I felt that at some point when the podcast boom was happening, where everybody was making you know big expensive podcasts that. Mm-hmm. we were in a bit of a bubble. And the reason why I felt that way was because even some of the people who did that type of show and were doing really well and also uh, did things that I thought were really good, like yeah. those people are even saying this is all a bubble, you know? Um, oh, I and see. so my sense was that making something, a podcast project at, you know, about that was long, that required a ton of work and money yeah. was probably not yeah. going to pay off at some level. Now, I don't know if all of that has come to fruition. I think that a lot of it has, but I also just think that that's all because interest rates are high right now and people don't have money to throw. <laughs> like you can't start a startup that delivers groceries, you know, to people's doors and then spend $20 million on advertising budget and just target podcasts. You know what I mean? Like, um, so well, is it do you do we know that podcast listening has dropped off since the beginning of the pandemic too? I, I don't assume think it listening has. has, but advertising advertising absolutely has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's a rough time for the podcast industry, and yeah. I think that a lot of places in the past year or two have been like we're just pivoting to chat chatty podcasts, and um, mm-hmm. it's like the pivot to reality TV because it's very cheap. Yeah, it's super cheap. <laughs> Just turn the camera on. Yeah, it's Just really turn. cheap. And now what it is, it feels like the industry is going to be um, pegged to clips on what does best on clips on TikTok and Instagram. Oh, reels, yeah, yeah. You know? and mm-hmm. That stuff I is like so uninteresting to me and so foreign to me. And I, abs- yeah. I actually hate it. You know, like whenever I see two Zoomers like with these microphones in front of their face on TikTok, I just like instantly scroll up and say, I have no interest in what they're saying because they're talking, they're <laughs> inevitably talking about some other Zoomer TikToker. You know, it's like, did you hear about what like so and so said to so and so? I see. Yeah. Like, it's all I, meta commentary. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I just am too old. You know, it's undignified for me to care about this. All the power, <laughs> all power to people who do, but I'm just too old to care about it. So yeah, I don't know. That's, that's my answer. <laughs> All right, next question. Oh, this is an interesting one, I think. My question is about Medium. What is the most and least satisfying 
about the podcast as a journalistic format for you both, including its social augmentation via Discord, Twitter, and the other apps. For both of you, how is it different from and where does it sit in terms of preference in relation to other media you've both worked in, including newspapers, magazines, websites, social media, television in general? Where do you see the future of podcasting going? So we answered the last part of it. But yeah, yeah like, you know, like what is for you, like what has this been like in terms of as like a, you know, like a public as as a journalist? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's been really, really challenging. Like I, I think that the thing that I... I like about it has really stressed me out, <laughs> which is that you are kind of riffing, you know, you're kind of testing stuff out. It's pretty unformed sometimes. I mean, obviously we do research and we do reading and we try to be prepared before we go live, but it's pretty scary. I'm, I'm so uh, careful with my writing and other kinds of work that, um, yeah, I think it's just been so against kind of like my my nature to do this. <laughs> but it's but that's also really good. You know, I think like that's I think that the challenge that this format has created. Um I think Andy maybe felt the same way too because we hadn't ever done this, you know, and Jade obviously had experience with it. Um but I think that's what has also created like the intimacy of our community in podcasting. Like obviously people talk about parasociality and all that and I think the the tentativeness, like the risks that we are taking when we talk um, are like that invitation that is is not as present when you're reading a text. So I'm really grateful for having tried it, but I feel like it's still very scary. I enjoy it. And I feel like it's, I, I don't know, I have a very different take on it just because I feel like it's much less scary than writing um, because hmm. it is, the assumption is that it's half formed. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah no i was just like um, but you're still on the record right like you're, yeah, we're still saying know. things i feel like people don't do you i guess people they don't do take get, it seriously. like people do get canceled for stuff they said on podcasts they definitely right? do. Yeah, like shane gillis did right like he did the like that's how people found his old podcast or something like that who right? is that Shane Gillis. he's that guy who was um auditioned he was going to be on snl remember and then they found oh. some anti-Asian jokes and then he got gotcha. yeah, yeah. everyone got mad about it and it was like I, I remember thinking now he's like wildly popular and much more popular than he ever would have just been as like I a see. bit um character in SNL but uh, and his <laughs> so comedy is really I I personally think his comedy is really really funny like he's hmm. he's hilarious okay. I, um and you get the sense that it was probably because just judging from his politics and what he talks about you know like I don't think that this guy w was racist, <laughs> was racist, you know. Mm -hmm. And I do think what you're saying, the scary part of it, I, I don't know. He's proved that what you're saying is true that people can just cut something <laughs> out of context and then you lose your job, you know. Um, but I guess I've just assumed that like the people who would take the time to listen to this podcast are probably fellow travelers in a lot of ways, and that I, they totally, are, yeah. it's a safe space, as people say. Yeah, they're going to be much more patient. It's much yeah. more less less scary to me than when I write something for one of these large although I don't know I guess I just I don't I something is just like I don't I have this ability I, I don't know if it's a ability but maybe it's actually like a you know maybe it's something that is not good but I have this way to just block out the consequences of the stuff that I'm <laughs> saying in the large in the larger world you know like not that if I say something hateful or harmful that it's going to cause 
repercussions. But this idea like, oh, like I, I just remember this at the times where I was just like, oh, it, at the beginning, abstractly, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to have this box twice a week with my face on it at the New York Times website, which is a thing that a lot of people go to, right? Um, it's different from other news organizations where you just find a specific story. People just type in nytimes.com. Right, and right. that a lot of people are going to be reading this much more than have ever read anything I've written. And uh, it was just like, it just, you know, I, it was always abstract that that was like an added responsibility to me. You know, I was like, well, I don't know. I should just, <laughs> I should just write the things that I'm going to write. And if people like it, then they like it. If they don't, they yeah. don't. But it was never like, a, oh, I have a new responsibility in the world. And so maybe that is why. Uh, but I But I also just like, found it to be um and in that way it was it was actually a very enjoyable job you know but with podcasts it's even more freeing right? you can just kind of say what you want and uh since people listen these are long episodes ideally people are listening to long episodes yeah. and they are listening to multiple episodes and so they get a sense of who you are they decide whether they like you or not or whether they are going to hate listen or not whatever reason <laughs> and then everything you're saying is not excerpted into like a 1200 word piece i feel like it's a lar- part of a larger multiple hour 20 60 80 hour corpus yeah of, or in our case i think ideally you, yeah 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 um, yeah i i think for me the discomfort is less about being canceled or something like that but it's like about my own commitment to an idea, you know, right. like I, um, but again, I think that that's been really like good and interesting to, as a challenge, like, as you were yeah. just saying, like, yeah, it's okay. You know, and I'm sure we've gotten a lot of stuff wrong and like <laughs> we've changed our minds on things. And like that, I think for the people who've been writing with us, it's like fine. Cause we're all sort of like evolving together and testing this stuff. But I do always worry like, Oh, but what if someone dips in? And then like that thing is this isolated oh. tidbit or something. But maybe that's not really how this kind of podcast even functions. Yeah, right? I don't most think of the so. the people who listen to us are listening to us on a more regular basis. Yeah, I kind of think of it almost like scheduling social time, you know, like the podcast that I do listen to, where it's like a huge impediment for me to uh, start a new one because I'm just yeah. like, oh, it's almost like bringing a new friend that you now have totally. to like, go, <laughs> go see. And you're like, well, I have my other friends. I'm very comfortable with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm too old to have new friends right now. Um, and uh, we're just gonna, we're just gonna keep it going because it's not, um, I, again, then at times you're just like, I don't even know if I like these friends anymore, but you know what? Like we do this thing every Thursday <laughs> and I'm not talking about this show. I'm just talking about no, some no. podcasts yeah, yeah. that I listen to where it's yeah. just like, I think I hate this podcast now, but I'm definitely going to just keep listening to The sunk costs of this yeah. relationship are too, it's just so we've familiar. gone too far. Are, you know, listen to a different podcast about the NBA. <laughs> you know? Totally. Um, yeah, I can't do it. I'm too set in my ways. All right. The next thing uh, is, okay, let's switch gears a little bit here and let, we can do a couple more and then we can wrap yeah. it up. But um, Sounds good. The, yeah, we can do a, we can do a, a sort of politics question. What are your thoughts, Tammy, on Biden's dismal poll numbers? Oh, man. Well, I think I mentioned to you before, Jay, that I've been reporting on like the youth vote and what that means. And a lot of the polling has been around whether the youth are now like detaching themselves from Biden. I so I think this is a case where like 
of course, like whatever, it's not like I'm reporting on this every single day and I'm all over the country, but I do feel like there's such a gap between the polling and like what my reporting experience is. Okay. So I'm on, on that particular thing. It's making me feel a little bit like, uh, I don't know how much the polling really matters and it's so early. That's kind of been my, my take so far, but I do feel like Trump is very strong. Oh, so you, what's the <laughs> so gap though? The gap is that I think the gap there's is more that, support than the polling yes, shows. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That like on this narrow question of this particular demographic I've been following for some months, the I use. see something very different than what the polling is indicating, oh, which then makes me feel a certain way about polling in general right now, you know? Especially this far out. Yeah. This far out. Cause yeah. yeah so, but that's not to say that I feel like, oh yeah, the Dems have it. For sure. Like, no, I think the Trump thing is real and I'm quite nervous about it. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Well, I don't know. It's very, it's been kind of difficult for it to me to parse. And I think I've been wrong about it, right? Where um, I saw the polls out of the battleground states that everyone else saw that where yeah. Trump is leading in all of them. And I saw the youth vote stuff, but I generally don't take much stock in youth vote stuff because young people don't vote, right? And so... Um, <laughs> well, they have been though, but yeah, right. the last and few elections. It's hard to take... It's hard to know what... I think you are... I, I, I agree with you in that it's very hard in the middle of a war to understand what a youth vote is yeah. going to be saying sure. um, and how that is predictive of a year from now. Right. I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing and that people will, it's good, you know, oh, well, who, no one's going to care about this in a year. Well, many people are going to care, but are those people going to comprise a voting public that is going to yeah. swing the election is the question. Um, right. I don't know. I think that, I think that young people probably when asked a question of, do you approve of the 85 year old president who currently is, you know, every time you look on TV or your social media is being blamed for the deaths of all these children. Like, do you support him? They're almost all going to say no, you know, like, it's just like, it's a moment where it's very hard to, I think for young people to support that. And yet I don't know if that means they're going to vote for Donald Trump. Instead <laughs> right. of Joe Biden. The question is whether it'll have an effect where people don't show up to the don't polls. Don't show up. At all. I know. I know. Um, yeah. And that is a real question. Yeah. I was having an argument with one of our colleagues about this. And I think at the end, I concluded that he was correct where he was saying that Trump is actually quite weak in terms of what he's saying in these rallies. Uh -huh. He's just, talking about the stolen election over and over again you know and that's something that i think most people have actually rejected he seems kind of low energy as well compared to before oh like yeah and that um the big thing is that like well trump hasn't even really started campaigning yet right um mm. and when he does it's he's going to pick up even more votes right he's going to do but his argument was actually what he's going to do is remind people why they hated him and rejected him as an incumbent and that actually he's a worse version of what he was before hmm. and that um that people really really hate donald trump which is true you know i mean some people very very much love donald trump but you know the other side really hates him and that there will still be enough of an animating force to reject him given how dangerous 
of a scenario you can paint for what his presidency will look like. And that type of work is starting already, right? We've seen stories and people coming out and saying, Trump is going to install a monarchy, all this type of stuff. That type of work in terms of telling a story about the dangers of the Trump presidency is starting. And part of the reason why it's powerful is because it's, there's probably a lot of truth to it, you know? Oh yeah. Um, I think so. I get prospect. Do you think that, like, what, what do you make of, because the Koch brothers have now come in full force behind Nikki Haley and kind of like all the quote unquote reasonable Republican forces are are trying to align behind her. What's your take on that? Well, my old rule of whatever the Republican establishment is doing, just can just assume the opposite is going to happen because those <laughs> okay. guys are always wrong about everything still stands, you know, oh, I don't think yeah. there's no chance Nikki Haley has any chance. Like none of these people do. Um, yeah. The Republican party is a one person party and yeah. it is a celebrity party. And um, yeah. that's all it is. Like you can't reform it. They sh- those people should start their own different party. Um, but they're not going to capture Trump vote, like Trump enthusiasts, like in any way, right? Like, I do wonder. Yeah, they were. It's just not. Like, what are you, Nikki Haley? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's know. so grim. Hopefully, yeah. Whatever. We have we have some time, so I'm trying to stay hopeful. That's, that's interesting, though, Tammy. I I would tend to trust your report your reporting over these polls in terms of the youths. Um, not in terms of like, you know, an overall aggregate, cause obviously you can't talk to, you can only yeah, talk yeah. to however many people you can talk to, but, um, it feels kind of like that, uh, right now it's hard to trust any of these polls just because the war is quite emotionally powerful for a lot of people. Yeah. And right now it no, seems definitely. like it's especially true for young people. Yeah. Um, and that, as it yeah, should be, it's such I mean, a divisive thing among the youth for sure, as we can see on all the campuses. All right. All right. Should we this one is just a do one more? We'll oh, do okay. one more. Mm-hmm. Um, Tammy, what is Jay's worst take? <laughs> and then you do mine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the thing that we've fought over or disagreed over is like what, what Asian America means. <laughs> Whether it's real, how real is it, what the substance of it is, where it actually like, you know, logically coheres. Um, and obviously Jay, you know, goes on about this in his book and that's, you know, in, in very interesting ways, but yeah, I think we've had different experiences about like whether, like how real, how sort of like tangible Asian America is. So I might, I might single that one out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about you? What's my worst take? I'm trying to think, I don't know, Tammy, I don't think you have ones that are really that bad. I mean, <laughs> at some point you defended Tucker Carlson, maybe, and that was like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> oh my God, I don't even remember. This it is the kind of shit that happens on a podcast. I don't, I, you know what it was? I think it was a, you would, you would express a curiosity about what would it look like if there was a type of conservatism that was rooted, that actually tried to be sincerely interested in working class white Americans, right? And, <laughs> was um, this you or me? I'm like, I feel like we've had No, no, no. Yeah, that's right. This is so also I something I think about. I, but you yeah. did you did you did say it and I was like, but I don't think that's that, a bad even that's not bad. It's actually something <laughs> I I'm also interested in as well. I think the saddest part of all of this 
of J.D. Vance in particular, who is somebody obviously you've reported on and know, um, is that like, I felt like that whole idea, which I found interesting, died when J.D. Vance like couldn't even fully support the UAW, you know? And I was like, if you can't even do this, dude, you have no shot. Right. Like, um, and they, he went to the picket line and people are like trolling him and booing him and everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, I don't know. There was a moment around East Palestine where I felt like that I was, was I thought it was an interesting idea if these, Mm -hmm. if the Republican party could cohere around this and could sort of take on what I always associate with Sam Quinones as a, um, you know, the author of the what I think is a very good book about, you know, opioid epidemic in the mm-hmm. in the middle of the country. Yeah. Sam Canonis is now a Dreamland. Of, Dreamland, yeah. Yeah, um, it's a good book. That if you're like this is like these places are suffering and they're forgotten and we've you know, uh obviously Trump uses a lot of this rhetoric, but in a sort of absurdist way. And that we're going to sort of build a social safety net to protect the country and that we're going to care about workers and we're going to sincerely do the thing that Trump says he does, but obviously never did. And we're going to really be antagonistic towards, uh, you know, the media. We're going to be really antagonistic towards big cities. We're going to be really antagonistic towards wall street. Um, that that would have been something that I did not, I would never vote for support, but that I would at least find interesting from a political standpoint. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, that's it. And the Josh Hawley thing, I think, has kind of faded off away too, right? right he was right. trying to make himself the standard bearer of that. But what? where is it? What, yeah, what two, Yale, to two Yale Law School grads, by the way. <laughs> both, both, both advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I don't Friend know. Friend of think, the working man, yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a period where I felt like uh, during um, when the attacks against Asian people were in the news all the time. Mm-hmm. And I felt this quite powerfully where I was like, the end of my career is going to be when some young Asian person who is from these enclaves who grew up in a, you know, a very working class type of environment, very mm-hmm. tied to these communities comes out and just says that every every Asian person working in the media is just full of shit, you know, and uh, they don't protect us. They don't care about us. And um, we are our own community. We're going to be self-supporting and we're going to, we have a lot to be proud about. We don't have to constantly apologize for our privilege or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, and that we're going to like, we should, we should have some sort of panethic idea of, pride or you know pan-asian idea of of pride and that just didn't happen but it wasn't that that sentiment wasn't expressed it's expressed all the time on social media it's just that that writer never really emerged and part of the reason i think the reason that writer doesn't emerge is because obviously they're going to be blocked off from these large networks but i don't even really see it in places like youtube and stuff like that you know and so I think that like theoret- my point only being that theoretical populism mm-hmm. is uh I see. Is not that is not that interesting to me anymore because my theories never come true, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wrong about it. Well, it was this interesting stuff. with the, I mean maybe that was my worst take which when at the beginning I think of those attacks I just didn't really understand the scope of it or didn't 
think it was as widespread or, you know, I don't know. Like, I feel like you heard about it because you were in the Bay a lot earlier than Andy and I had heard about it. Um, But the thing that you're talking about with the resentment against kind of like the liberal chattering class of Asian American journalists and writers was expressed more through like incel, like yeah, like the men, MRA culture, men's rights yeah. Asians. Yeah. So that, yeah, I think what you're, that the theoretical populism didn't come true in this particularly like sanguine way. It was like channeled through this like darker thing. Yeah. Now, whether those sentiments are burgeoning or not below the surface is an open question. I imagine yeah. they are, you know, and I don't think that anyone needs to care who occupies these types of posts and maybe they just, and I think that a lot of them have stopped caring, you know? Yeah. Um, but I just haven't seen the person come out and even be that hugely popular on any of these platforms. The closest is probably China Mac, right? But, um, you know, China Mac is popular, but I don't think that, that there is like somebody who's going to come out and kind of be this, reactionary populist figure amongst Asian people. And that's because of all the reasons about Asian America not existing. (laughs) (laughs) Circling back to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now within the Chinese community, absolutely. You know, like within Chinese American community, I think that those types of figures are much bigger, but I don't think that there's a pan Asian type of person that is going to gain too much traction. Um, what's probably going to happen is that the liberal elite chattering class media people are just going to become more and more irrelevant, you know, and, um, at some point fade away. And then we're just going to have sort of a fractured type of landscape around it. Like we always (laughs) had, but the grip of, you know, what I always want to tell the MRA dudes is like the thing that you want where like the liberal kind of woke Asian Americans stop having much power has already happened. <laughs> These people you're mad at. Well, make did like, they ever have power? <laughs> yeah. The people you're so mad at make like $45,000 a year, dude. You know, <laughs> like nobody reads them. You know, like <laughs> they have oh, no man. power, like they're powerless and you're just screaming at them. Like they're yeah, like yeah. the most important people in the world. It's just like, just like, leave it alone. Like, you know, like they're, like you're drawing you're actually helping them by drawing more attention to them you know like what what are you doing if it boils down to an economic argument about media once again (laughs) yeah 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 tyler cowan is right Um, (laughs) if these people were important they would be getting paid more (laughs) (laughs) exactly um all right okay well i think that's a good way to end tammy uh you know, I will just cue this up by saying that the last three years have been an absolute pleasure for me. Um, I am very sad to see you go, just as I was sad to see Andy go. I feel like I'm the last kid left at the playground, <laughs> but, you know, that's not an uncommon experience for me. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for being my weekly con- person that I speak to, probably more than any person uh other than my wife. And so, uh, and that, you know, this show has been the most important creative outlet that I have done in years and years and years. Um, and, uh, would not be possible without, without you. And so I wanted to thank you for that. And I just want to give you the floor so that you can say your goodbyes to our many, many listeners. Thank you so much, Jay. Um, 
yeah, first of all, just a huge thanks to Jay for bringing me into this project. As I was just saying, it was, it's been, it was kind of terrifying and it <laughs> remains um, challenging and, but like so beautiful. And um, yeah, I was also going to say what Jay said, which is like, I can't believe the amount of time we've spent together over the last three and a half years, because outside of the convening and the recording every week, we're all week, we're throwing around ideas, messaging each other. Um, we've, been with each other through a lot of like difficult times through the pandemic and also life-changing ones like with his new kid we've gone through different jobs during this period it's been a really like tumultuous and and like um incredible time of growth I think personally for me and I think I've also just um had my life really changed by the people in the discord which is so bizarre to say but we've built an incredible um IRL community and I just wanted to thank everybody for coming out to all of our events and supporting the pod. And I'm really excited to see what Jay continues to do with it. Um, we will still, I'll still be lingering, I think, around the edges of the community. So, um, yeah, but thank you guys so much for these years. And I think I'll still be back occasionally, like Andy, as a surprise guest, hopefully. Um, but huge thanks. And um, I also wanted to say thanks to May Schatz, who's I think going to come on and say a few words. But May, after Andy left, has been working with Jay and me to produce the show and try to level up the show in different ways to make it a bit more professional. And I think it's been a really great benefit to the show. And May's going to leave also because Jay's going to kind of, you know, retool and figure out where he's taking the pod. But we wanted to thank her for her work. Yeah, thank you, May. Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> I didn't know yes. if this was going to work. Um, yeah, I just wanted to thank both of you for inviting me to be part of Time to Say Goodbye for the last year and a half. It was so fun and such an honor to work with you both and, you know, learn about the topics that, you know, the very, very wide ranging topics that you all cover on this show. Um, and also to to be a part of the um, collaborative brainstorming that brings each episode to life. Um, I'm also just really grateful for how welcoming the TTSG community and Discord were and are to me. Um, I joined the Discord a little bit later um, and also was not listening from the very first episode and can't even remember when I plugged into the show, um, <laughs> though it was a while before I got involved. Um, and so I'm just so grateful that people were willing to um, welcome me in because y'all are awesome. It's a very special group of people that you all have um, cultivated around this show, and I'm lucky to have been a part of it. So thanks so much. Thank you, May. Yeah, the community is very important to us, and um, I will say that you know, Tammy is very good at creating communities and uh, the work of doing that and everything like that, I appreciate. It is not something I would have, if I'm being honest, would have done on my own. Because as <laughs> I explained before, my attitude about stuff is like, I'll just make something and release it to the world and then I'll go upstairs and play video games. And <laughs> <laughs> And that is a, you know, it's a immensely silly and privileged way to think about things. But, you know, the, I have, my eyes have been open to the possibilities of these types of, <laughs> of these types of things and why they're good and it's why it's worth making the effort. Right. And so yeah. that was the last thing I wanted to thank Tammy for. 
Um, I don't mean to be so funereal about this because obviously <laughs> yeah. when I go to New York, I'm still going to see Tammy and see May. It's like, it's not going to be, this is not like, uh, totally. Yeah. Uh, something, but this for the show, by. but for the show itself, for the people who are listening, obviously this will be a, uh, change. I will have more announcements about what's going to happen. I honestly still thinking about it. It's hard because, you know, Tammy's sort of the conscious of the show and I'm very aware that like I can, that I tend to just, you know, it's just like whatever, like, you know, it's like unhinged (laughs) at times. And (laughs) I am also aware that perhaps in large doses without Tammy to be like the smart and pleasant and reasonable person that it's could be quite intolerable. And so (laughs) trying to figure it out. That's not true, but it's going to be interesting. No, 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 but there's a little bit of truth there. So um, (laughs) I'm going to have an, we're not going to, I think next week that I've thought, I've thought about who the guest. So it's not, we're not going to like the show will continue, but in terms of what it's going to actually be, it's going to be a bit of a trial and error. One thing I can promise you it won't be is me just ranting for an hour and a half. (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna start it. with it sounds like you're gonna start with a bunch of interviews and kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. posting it on tiktok <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah Here's and i jo- i do want to apologize for um our social media really dropping off at some point months ago <laughs> it was a, it was sort of an experiment to uh try to keep up with that but we'll see where jay yeah, takes yeah, it i'm sure i'm sure the tiktok not, will go I, viral once Jay has. Oh, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> I have no interest in that. Because I, I thought about it for a while. Camera. But I, then I was just like, every TikTok viral podcast clip I've ever seen has annoyed me so much that I just can't contribute to that, even if it would be better for the podcast listenership. I don't want those listeners. <laughs> you know, like, I, don't, I don't know. I, don't I wouldn't, wanna, I, I wouldn't you oh know, discount God. it so early. I could see you really getting into the TikTok game. <laughs> oh, my God. You was... definitely, Jay, you definitely understand the medium because you're watching it definitely. a lot. So. Yeah, but there are journalists who do it that do it well. Um, like Jamel Bowie, for example, I think is quite good at it. You know, like hmm. he sort of explains okay. things and um, he explains things in a very patient but kind of annoyed fashion, which I think is the right <laughs> balance to have, right? But he also explains things so well that I hmm. find his stuff to be very good on there, you know? I, um, I understand why young people would want this person in their lives who's going to like explain everything from cereal brands to the Supreme Court to the history of of reconstruction, whatever, right? Like, um, hmm. I totally get that. I can't do that because, you know. It's, it's not your style. It's, it's not my style. I'm just, <laughs> uh, and also like, I just, <laughs> me being annoyed about stuff is like so unappealing. You know, some people are better at being annoyed, good at patiently doing things for me. It's just like, <laughs> goes like straight to 11 in terms of anger and personal insults. <laughs> Maybe it would be good for TikTok. I don't know. But but I just don't like seeing myself that way. So, um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to the show. If you want to, if you have suggestions for what we should do, you can email us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com. If you want to contribute to the show, it's $5 a month at goodbye.substack.com or patreon.com slash TTSG. And Tammy, how do people who want to keep in touch with you, how do they reach you? So I'm going to try out some social adjacent things. Right, because so you're not on Twitter anymore. <laughs> I'm not on Twitter, but I'll post it um, in the show notes. 
Okay. I'm around. Yeah, Tammy is going to be around. Or you can, uh, if you email the show, I'll just forward it to Tammy. If you have questions for Tammy, I can always just forward <laughs> it to her. Okay, well, uh, end of an era, Tammy. Best of luck, May. Best of luck. You know, I mean, whatever. I'm sure I'll talk to you. Like, tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. today, Jay, best of luck. Officially finished. With best whatever luck, the next phase is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, going upstairs and getting my kids ready to drop them off at school. Is the oh, yeah, yeah. You have today. to go. Okay. Um, but, all right. Well, thank you. Right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.